Today's program is part of a special series brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership with funding provided by ACES Aware. Together, we are working to raise awareness about the effects of adverse childhood experiences in hopes of building a healthier community and a brighter future for our children. Dr. B explains the importance of acknowledging our stressors of the past in order to thrive in the present. Plus, she shares practical tips for coping through challenging times and building greater resiliency so you and your family can enjoy healthier and more fulfilling life. Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. All right. Good morning, Xander. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you doing this morning? I am doing well. I, it's a Friday. My city is raising the pride flag for the very first time wow. ever. Wow. So that's a pretty, I know. You're, Xander's like, what? <laughs> yeah. I think Where do you live? I've been doing that for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure in a lot of places. And I'm in California. So, you know, this is this is a big, um, it's been a big controversy. So I'm so excited to have you here to, to talk to us today. And let me say this, though, right off the top, a huge congratulations to being the 2020 Social Worker of the Year with the National Association of Social Workers. I think wow. that is so awesome. And yeah, that was that was a cool read for me when I was, you know, learning more about you. And so for our audience, Xander Keg Consulting. Yes. In Orlando, Florida. And so we are super fortunate today to get to chat with you and learn about what you do. And like I said, I'm so impressed and excited about your your award of being the National Social Worker of the Year for 2020. That's a pretty big honor. It is a big honor. <laughs> so Xander, I was looking over your website and two other things popped out at me that were really interesting and I'd love to hear more about in terms of you are a certified queer and trans affirming professional and yes. you are a certified rainbow shield provider as well as many other things and i thought okay that's cool and i've never seen that before so i would love for you to talk about you know what does that mean because you are clearly on the leading edge of not only the lgbtq social justice advocacy community, but also very much so the transgender community. So I want to learn all about what you do and what that means because people are so naive when it comes to especially the transgender community. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you for asking. Most people don't ever ask about the Rainbow Shield. So the Rainbow Shield training that I completed was through what is now the Modern Military Association of America. 
MMAA, which is now a three or four different organizations that represent LGBT military members, their dependents and veterans merged together. So people might be familiar with OutServe or Service Members Legal Defense Fund, um, the American Military Partners Association. So they all merged to create the Modern Military Association of America. And I'm a veteran of the US Coast Guard and I worked at the Department of Veterans Affairs and also um, for as a veterans employment services specialist for the California Employment Development Department down in San Diego County. And so when I learned about this uh, Rainbow Shield training, it's geared towards people who work in the community with veterans to learn specifically about LGBT veterans, our issues, our needs, our concerns, our resources, so that people are, who are like veteran service officers for the counties around the country or who are working for Department of Veterans Affairs or working in different cities and states that have departments of Veterans Affairs. It gives them the resources and tools to work with LGBT identified veterans in particular. So that's, that's where that training comes through. And then the Queer and Trans Affirming Professional, that's a brand new certification program that was started by some therapists in Austin, Texas. And they were holding a conference every couple of, or every year for a few years that was specifically looking at LGBT couples. So they're mostly couples therapists and they were looking at working with LGBT couples and they, they founded a conference. And they found that there weren't a lot of resources that were geared toward working with people who are LGBTQ identified and in couples, right? Or maybe families. And, and so there are lots of certification programs. It's not the only certification program I've gone through, but I was invited to become an instructor for that certification program. And one of the prerequisites for that is that I become certified myself. So I had to go through courses and I had to take an examination um, and then I had to develop my course and and then what's going to happen now is that students are going to go through the course and they're going to they're going to go or through the certification program and they're going to take many courses including mine and then they have to go through what's called consultation and so i'm also a consultant so i'll be working with students they need six hours of consultation and so i'm, a, I'm an instructor and a consultant and so people can just do an internet search on queer and trans affirming professional to learn more about the certification program or even just go to my website, xanderkeg.net, because yeah. there's a little digital badge and I put a little link right under it so people can go to it directly. Can you talk a little bit more about the Rainbow Shield? What, how do you, what is the specifics and how do you work? What is your job when you interact with people in the military? Well, it, it all depends, right? Um, for me, for example, I was working at the Department of Veterans Affairs and then I was working in the Department of Defense as a licensed clinical social worker doing clinical case okay. management. And so my job at the time when I went through the Rainbow Shield training was as a clinical case manager for the Navy Medicine West transgender care team. And so I did that for a little over three years. And so my job was working directly with active duty service members who were going through a, a command approved gender transition um, between uh, December 2016 and January 2019. And so mm -hmm. I was able, I already had all of these resources. You know, I, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't learn very much that I didn't already know because I am a veteran. I am a member of the LGBT veteran community and I've worked in multiple settings with veterans as a veteran. And so, but I wanted the endorsement of an organization 
that was at the time OutServe and now Modern Military Association of America. I wanted that endorsement. I wanted to be able to use that badge as a as a signifier to demonstrate that I've been through an actual training and that I'm mm. I'm now you know endorsed by them to be a liaison to providers who are unfamiliar with working with LGBT veterans. So for example, I recently signed on to do a continuing education class with Affirmative Couch, which is a continuing education uh, company that focuses on LGBT specific uh, behavioral health trainings. And I'm gonna do a training next month that's all about LGBT veteran community and patients or clients. So how how you know how to work with LGBT veterans and resources available for that community. So it's it's just like a bolstering of what I already know how to do, but it signals, you know, through the visible, through that badge that I've been through a training in addition to all of my own personal experience. Xander you are like a walking resource library and i love that because we are the lgbt community is one thing but one of the things that i know from my experience and from you know research and is that 80 percent of the population don't even know a transgender person so Mm. all of their information about about the transgender community comes from media, comes from movies, magazines, TV, you know, the hype stuff, not the real life stuff. And I love that you're so open and honest and willing to share and you are a wealth of resource in 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 the LGBT community, but also the transgender community. And I and I, as I look at my sort of like outline of what I want to, you know, what's the problem here? And I want to hear, because this sounds like a contradiction in terms for me, military command approved gender transition program. I'm like, wait a minute. They allow that this is a thing? Please, please help me understand that. <laughs> Absolutely. So <laughs> let me first say that Becoming a social worker, which was not my first career, was a natural fit for me because I've people used to call me a walking encyclopedia. And if you know social workers in your life, social workers can tend to be very, very resourceful because in a lot of cases, that's what we're doing, right? We're providing resources and referrals and linkages and warm handoffs, right, to other providers yeah. and other agencies. And so uh, most social workers are like walking encyclopedias. So it's, it's, um, it's a perfect profession for me. Okay, so there is a lot of confusion about the military and transgender people. I, wouldn't, I would go even further to say that not only is there confusion, but there's misinformation, there's contradiction, and there's agendas. And so yes. I'll, I'm going to be a little careful So I'm not going to name names and I'm not going to go into too many details. But what I'll tell you is that in June of 2016, a memo came out from the Department of Defense that said active duty service members who are transgender and would like to go through a gender transition can do it while they're on active duty. um, And that the resources and services for that would be available on or after the 1st of October, 2016, right? So that was the last six months of the Obama administration, right? So President Obama was in office for eight years, 
And in his last six months, we got open transgender service. I personally find that very disappointing. Very. Like I find it disappointing that the Defense of Marriage Act and Don't Ask, Don't Tell uh, for military members who are gay and lesbian and bisexual was also not repealed until much later in his time in, in office. Yeah. And as a reminder, it was President Clinton who enacted Don't Ask, Don't Tell and Defense of Marriage Act. So, I mean, we have to right. contend with some of these political nuances in our community. And so... And there are members of LGBT community who are not fans of the military, right? So we have to acknowledge that there's issues around just being in the military, right? Being a veteran and having sure. worked for the military. So, let, you know, controversial, I won't go into details, but it's, it's a reality. Okay. And so, so when that, when that policy or that memo, when that memo came out on June 30th of 2016, I was at Naval Medical Center San Diego in the case management department working in the residential substance abuse disorder treatment program for active duty service members who were Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard. And so that was my job at the time. And what I did was I did something most people wouldn't do, but it, you'll get to know me well enough to know that I've got a lot of moxie. So I do things that other people won't do because <laughs> what's the worst that can happen? They'll say no, like, so what, right? And so when that email went out to the entire command of Naval Medical Center San Diego and all of its branch clinics, I hit reply to the commanding officer, not to all thousands of people probably on that email. And I reminded her that we had just met a couple of weeks earlier during my onboarding because I was a GS-12, which is a high ranking enlist or um, civilian position, right? If it starts at GS-1, it goes to about GS-15. I was a 12, right? So that's pretty high up there. Okay. So I got an opportunity to meet one-on-one -on -one or in a small group, I should say, with the commanding officer. So I reminded her that we had just met pre uh, very recently and that I'd come from the Department of Veterans Affairs, that I work with transgender veterans, that I was serving on the Transgender American Veterans Association Board of Directors and had for, at that point, about a year and a half and that I was also transgender and a veteran and I worked in her command. And if I could be of any service, please let me know. I don't think 15 minutes went by and I didn't get an email from her, not her assistant, not her secretary, right? This is the commanding officer of the whole, you know. Yeah, she, yeah, that's um, <laughs> yeah. So, well, she was actually the second in command, but the first in command was gone. So she was the interim commanding officer. And so I, she responded to me and said, I'm going to have a meeting and I'm going to get you on the schedule to come to that meeting. And so I was at the very first meeting for the command where we were going to discuss like, what does this memo say? What does it mean? What do we need to do? And so then we had a second meeting and it was decided at that second meeting that I would be the case manager for what was to become the Navy Medicine West transgender care team. And so wow. this was dictated by by the memos that were coming out of the Department of Defense based on policy change, which was coming that said active duty service members who are transgender, if they follow a very particular process or path, can get a command approved gender transition. And so we built the transgender care team for Navy Medicine West, and that included Asia, the Pacific Islands, the Western United States. It also included parts of uh, Central and South America, if there had been people stationed down there that, that wanted to come forward. And so 
we spent from basically July until December building the team and building the process. And my responsibilities as a case manager was to build the intake and orientation process and work on the case consultation process and manage the database of all those service members. But it was ultimately about 300 that were on my caseload when I left that position. And so, yes, as of October 1st, TRICARE, which is the medical benefit delivery system, right? It's not health insurance, but it's for active duty right. people and their dependents and retirees. The, those benefits were available starting on October 1st, 2016. So military dependents could also get access to gender affirming hormones and gender affirming surgeries. So could active wow. duty, but active duty had to go through a very specific process or a specific pathway and we developed that pathway it wasn't developed for us by dod each each branch of the military had its own process we just had to all be able to provide it but how we provided it was going to be unique to how the navy did things how the air force did things how the army did things and so there were many hundreds hundreds and hundreds of active duty service members who were able to go through a command approved gender transition, which included surgeries and hormones and getting their uh, personnel documents all changed, like the name and the sex, changed the uniform they wore, everything. Everything was able to be changed. And that never stopped, by the way. Even when the new policy wow. came out in April of 2019, the policy stated that anybody who was already in that pipeline of a command approved or on their way to command approved could keep moving forward, keep moving forward. So when they, when people say, oh, there was a trans ban, you have to get really specific about what that means because it didn't mean that all the people, you know, the 200 almost, or the almost 300 people I worked with, they weren't kicked out all of a sudden. Okay. As a matter of fact, they just kept going. They just they kept doing hormones. They they kept getting moved forward in their surgery process, and you know that that didn't change. It might have slowed down for some people because people were unsure. What does this mean? How how do we how do we yeah. progress now with these changes? And so that might have taken up some time. But most of the people I worked with are still serving and um and in their affirmed gender not the not the not the sex that they were assigned you know i was gonna ask that because that was immediately what i thought was oh my goodness did it slow down the pipeline did it slow down the process or were people just immediately cut off and then the other part is going through this transition process moving into their affirming gender yeah and all the while being in the military, all the while being in your regular life. Like, can you share with us a little bit about that real life experience of people that you consult with, coach, work with, personal experience? This is this is on the ground real life. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, j just to give you the, the range of people I was working with, there were a few people that I was in regular contact with, but they never... They never pursued a command-approved gender transition. They were too worried. 
They were too worried about how it would impact their ability to get promotions, their ability to re-enlist, um, how people would see them, treat them. They were very concerned about it. And then there were of other course. people who were like one of the very early like adapters, like they jumped in on it as soon as it came. It, I, they were one of the first people that I did an intake and orientation with and they stopped transition, not because of any policy, just because of their own personal reasons why, right? Okay. And so, and those are very complex. But I can tell you that of the people I worked with, some were, most were enlisted, but many were officers and people were getting promoted. They, people were people were making chief. They were moving up in rank in, in the officer corps and in the enlisted side. So it, it, I, I couldn't see that there was any real barriers. A lot of it had to do with the individuals themselves. You know, I, I tell people that of the people that I worked with, there were about 10% that were like, they were just extraordinary. They were like the top of the top of the military. They were uh, excelling in their occupation. They were... They were involved in so many different extracurriculars or details, they call them, which is always really good for advancement. Um, and then there were about 10% that they did the bare minimum. They really did. They did the bare minimum. They had their gender transition process taken care of. They started hormones. They got their paperwork changed. They maybe even had some surgeries. Um, and then they just got out of the military. They just got out mm. and some of them got out early on um, what they call administrative separations. They, they initiated getting out under like an adjustment disorder diagnosis. They just didn't want to be in anymore. They wanted to go live their life. And then everybody else was just your average normal person, right? They were getting up, putting okay. on a uniform and going to work every day. And they had a family they were taking care of. Right. But so, and that's just, that's regular life. Like that's, we all kind of fit into those categories, right? The majority of us are just getting up and doing what we got to do every day. And there are some people out there in the world who are like doing extraordinary things. And so that's exactly what I dealt with with my caseload is I had just, you know, what you would imagine out in the non-military world. There's so many differences between the branches of service, right? I worked for the Navy. So I was working with people who were serving in the Navy, the Marine Corps, and the Coast Guard, because the Coast Guard gets most of its medical care from whichever military is, is around them that has the hospital or the clinic, right? And I'm a Coast Guard veteran. We had like one or two, you know, um, what would be called medical technicians or the Navy corpsmen who did medical on base. But I basically had to go to the Navy hospital or the Navy clinics if I needed anything beyond like getting my temperature checked or something, you know? And yeah. so, it, you know, because that's just, it, it's the Coast Guard is really small. So when you're working with the military, so many factors matter as to where in the world you're serving, like the people you're working with. Are you working with people while you're in Germany or in Georgia, right? The state of Georgia, not the country. And then it also depends on if you're working for with the Navy or the Army, the Air Force. They're all very different. And we were all organized very different. The, the Navy had two transgender care teams, Navy Medicine East and Navy Medicine West. The Air Force had one central in San Antonio, Texas, there's a joint Army Air Force base down there. The Army had multiple, I don't even know how many they had. They had multiple transgender care teams or transgender care groups. You know, they were they were very different from from the others. So and that's normal, right? That's that's the way the military is. They're all very different, the branches.
There are so many like idiosyncrasies to the process of these or you know the military pieces. And I'm I just can't find myself not thinking about the emotional if I were a transgender person wanting to do affirming surgery it scares me to think about the process of how to even start and where and then oh my gosh who am i going to run into like who is going to help me through this process like it just feels emotionally overwhelming and so can you speak to the the that side of it too because this you know, I feel like I have some moxie and it scares me. So if it scares, if it scares, you know, if it scares me, I can only imagine how, not that I'm not scared of anything, but, you know, in general, like a, a young person in this position. I, I love that we're using the word moxie. That needs to come back into modern vocabulary. I, I'm a big fan of that word. That's a great word. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I used the other yes. day in an article, I used glean and grok, and I bet people are going to be like, what does that even mean? I love those <laughs> words. I love using those. Like, yeah, because they're very concise. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But Dr. B, do you mean like in the, within the military context or just in general around transition? And Because I, I can talk more, I can talk very specifically or I and or very generally. I think I mean probably as broad a context as you as you like feel comfortable with. Well, I, I you know you said earlier on something about where a lot of people get their information from the media, right? About yes, who trans people are and what our lives are like, right? And so what you see typically is the negative aspects. Right, so people will recite, you know, 41% of trans people have attempted suicide. And that's a, that's a statistic that comes from one um, survey done, you know, around 2015 that had no follow-up questions. So it's a little, you know, there's some problems okay. there. They, they need to do more research on that to have- Okay, I love that. Right? I love because that you're balancing no it out. Yeah, because there were no follow-up questions that dealt with, like, at what age were you? Was this prior to you even acknowledging or, or recognizing that you perhaps were trans in some way? So, and, and was it really a suicide attempt or were, was it self-harm? It's two different things, right? And so they need better, right. we need better research that is specifically on suicide and that has to do with the trans community, that it's more comprehensive, and I'm hoping that people are doing that because that one statistic gets pulled out all the time and I find problems with it because of the lack of, of follow-up with that. Thank you for that education because I'm one of those people who like in a, in a, in a desire to be protective, I inaccurately reflect information that maybe isn't uh, complete. And so I'm so glad you're here to, to help us understand this on a deeper level. Well, no, it makes sense because, you know, when you said that it's we get a lot of stuff from the media. Well, within within the LGBT community, we have our own sources of media, right? The, these large national organizations. Yeah. And so they put out infographics and they put out newsletters and they put out blogs and YouTube videos or, you know, just videos. 
and they they repeat this information and so it makes it sound very reliable so it, mm -hmm. why would you question them right uh, most people don't and i i'm not necessarily questioning them i just think we actually if we truly want to be good stewards of our community then we should dive deeply into actual research on lgbt people as a whole and then break it down into the different groups and look at suicidal ideation suicide attempts you know we should be looking at all of those factors and so i hope that people who specialize in that kind of research are doing that research um, and maybe there is Agreed. some out there now that i'm just unaware of i mean that's obviously possible but that 41 percent is almost always um, linked to that one study done by the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force. And it's okay. not their only study on, on the trans community. It was their first one. Okay. And so, but also another issue is when we talk about trans community, there's a lot of different identities within the trans or transgender community, right? So you have transgender people, and then you have non-binary, and you have gender diverse, and you have gender non-conforming, and you have transsexuals. And so there's a lot of different terms that people use to describe either how they identify or their, or their experience of themselves, right? For example, I say transsexual, but it's not my identity. It's just, mm. it, I don't, I don't, I don't, my identity is I'm a social worker, I'm a husband, I'm first generation American, right? My gender isn't my identity. And so, right. Right. But so we what have does to, that mean? Because the mean? audience doesn't, okay, remember, the audience has only hmm. learned any of this from the media and a, Google, a quick Google search. So, yes. tell us what that means to you. Why, why, why do you pick transsexual? And then what does, what do, what do some of those other terms mean specifically if you were talking to a parent of a trans youth or somebody who was really just walking through the door saying like, help me, because that's our audience. Yeah. Like, this is okay. who, this, they're, they're saying, what does that mean? Yes. And I want to, I want to, we, let's feed them the, let's feed <laughs> them the information. So I'll preface by saying that I'm going to I'm going to give you my understandings like how I make sense of these terms you can ask nine more people and you'll get 10 answers. So Absolutely. Just so people are clear yes. on that. Um, if if they want a definitive glossary they're not going to find one. And right. so so for me I use transsexual because in in its original meaning, right? That I my I have gone through the process of medically changing how I appear to society, right? I've I've taken okay. gender affirming hormones now for sixteen years, and I've had surgical procedures, and I've gone into a court, right? And I've asked a judge to grant me a name change and a sex marker change, right? So like. Uh, so my driver's license, the sex marker is now male. My passport says male. My California birth certificate now says male. Back when I did this, you had to go through court. That's not the case in all states, but every state has a very different legal process for how you change your name and how you change the sex marker on, on your government identification and your diplomas and your bank accounts and all those things. And so, okay. so for me, transsexual matches because... 
as uh, prior to transition, I was I was a dyke, and so I was a masculine woman, and so my masculinity didn't change. My gender expression didn't change. I went from a masculine woman to a masculine man, right? Some people actually make a significant change. They go from being a really feminine woman to a really masculine man, whereas a lot of people, they go from feminine woman to feminine man, right, in their transitions. Or on the other side of the community, right, so to speak, would be masculine man to feminine woman or masculine or feminine man to, you know, like it, it, it's because the difference yeah. is that there's we have a natal sex. This is quite controversial, by the way, but I'll say it because I'm a medical social worker and I can talk about I don't mind talking about <laughs> yeah. biology. And that is that, you know, I say to people, I'm a man. I say I'm a transsexual man. I might say I'm a man of trans experience or transsexual experience. And I have a female natal sex. Right. Okay. I don't say that to the my neighbor. I don't say it to the <laughs> to the person, you know, when I'm ordering my food yeah. at the diner. I say it to my doctor, to my nurse. Right. Mm-hmm. To my yeah. you know, I say it in medical settings because I want them to right. know because because symptoms manifest differently in male and female bodies and medications are different, the dosaging. And so I want my doctors to know it's not something I just randomly tell people. Um, But when some people, if there are people who are, say, uncomfortable around trans people or they are negative or even regret, you know, um, rejecting of trans people. If somebody says to me, you know, well, you'll always be female. My comeback is, well, I know that. Like, (laughs) like, but. But that's not common. What's more common is that somebody's going to get a lot of pushback and then they're going to deny that a biological sex even exists. And I don't do that, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I risk I risk a little bit in talking about that. You know, it, I feel like I'm talking about me and my experience and my conversations with my doctor. So right. yeah. uh, I feel like I should be able to talk about me and my life and my body in my terms. I don't, I'm not telling any other trans person what terminology to use, right? And so transgender might be more of an umbrella term for some people. They'll say, oh, it's the transgender community. We're not all friends under this umbrella. Um, (laughs) And so... Reality, we're not all friends under any umbrella, right? That's right. Like, that's right. <laughs> there's a whole lot of umbrellas, and we're not all friends yeah. under any umbrella. That's I want right. to thank you so much, Xander, for your bravery and, and courage <laughs> for sharing these details because yeah, it no. really is informative yeah. for people that, hey, you know what? This is one, this is one person. I'm one person. Yeah. Seth's one person. We have our experience yes. living our lives and Absolutely. so but it is and we're not so a monolith, helpful right the we're, trans no. community is not a monolith um you know non-binary people are people who in general this is very general that i'm speaking sure. would be they they would say that they are either transgressing or rejecting or um somehow dismissive of the quote binary meaning there's only male and female or masculine male and feminine female or right so they're they're rejecting that they have because maybe they've grown up in a family a society a culture that's reinforced that i didn't grow up in that i grew up in los angeles california in a mexican family wearing my my boy cousins hand-me-downs and hanging out at the beach in op and hang 10 on my skateboard (laughs) 
right? <laughs> so I was very much a little tomboy, so to speak. And I was I think allowed we were to neighbors. Be. <laughs> <laughs> I was in um I was in Redondo Beach. So Okay. I was in Ventura, but um yes. and I and, and lived in Glendale for a little while. And oh, so yes. Yeah. No, I yeah, love so, it. So, so we um, digress. We digress. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So so some people, right? Some people are 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 raised in in more in in stricter and more traditional, more conventional households and more more uh, and within religious systems and cultural systems. I, I I didn't have that. I mean, maybe I could have. Um, partly, I think it's because I just didn't care. And I didn't, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I mean, I was a juvenile delinquent. And so if I was going to buck the system legally, why would I at home adhere to the social norms from my family? Like, I wasn't going to do it. Some people, I'm an externalizer. Some people internalize. So I think some people internalize more of those social norms, more of those social expectations. And then when we get older, then some people get really angry at those social norms and social expectations, those cultural norms. And I didn't do that. I just said, well, I think it's stupid when I was a kid and I just walked away from it. And so it didn't scar me in the way that some people are scarred I, because of that internalization. But gender diverse, people, like there's gender diverse, gender non-conforming. Again, these are terms that people use. These are labels or identities that are very specific and unique to the person. Because somebody who I might say, oh, maybe they're gender non-binary, they can say, oh, no, I'm just gender non-conforming. So they're used sometimes interchangeably, sometimes very distinctly, and it's hard to know until you speak with that individual. It's, they're not good mm -hmm. words to just generally use. I think transgender gets used generally, and then individuals can say, oh, I, I don't use that term. So, for example, when people put you know, uh, demographic questionnaires together and they're asking about, you know, sex and they're asking about gender and they'll put transgender. And there are some people that I know, transsexuals, who won't check that box, transgender. They'll just check male or female. Mm -hmm. And then that, that center, that clinic, that organization, that institute is not capturing their demographic data in a way that might be useful for them, especially in getting grants. That is really fascinating. Um, Xander, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. We, we like to close out these episodes with some practical takeaways. So with all your experience, both personally and professionally, what are two or three things that you can, um, for those people out there that are maybe looking to transition or parents of people that have transitioned or wanting to, whatever, I yeah. mean, any variable of those things, I guess, could you just speak to those people right now and, and give them some level of, where to where to look things up how to become informed um like at one step yeah and just kind of speak to how to do that well and with with bravery and moxie with moxie <laughs> that's yes. right let's bring back some moxie set um, yes <laughs> i would definitely for parents i would um i think a great place to start is to go to the trans youth family allies website which is the it's i m a T Y F A. 
I'm a trans youth family ally. So I am a tyfa.org and there's resources for parents, for educators and providers on that website. And then it'll lead you mm -hmm. all over the interwebs and to uh, in-person um, groups that you can, that parents can join. So a lot of parents um, might be familiar with PFLAG, right? PFLAG's been around since the 80s. Parents and friends of lesbians and gays, parents come <coughs> together and talk in their local communities. Well, TIFA has a similar network of parents, um, but they can just go to PFLAG also, pflag.org for parents. Um, for trans people, I highly recommend a newer organization that was started. Uh, disclaimer, I'm an advisor to the organization, but I think what they're doing is amazing. It's called the American Transgender Resource Hub, atrh.org. And when people go to that website, they'll find not only resources, but they can fill out online a HIPAA compliant, meaning their privacy is protected, a HIPAA compliant form an intake form, then then a volunteer of the organization will contact them and help them find the resources and connect with the people and the organizations and the surgeons, whatever it is they're looking for, right? So, and there's no cost for that. A lot of times people pay money to have, it's basically like having your own case manager, right? And so, wow. yeah, okay. American Transgender Resource Hub. So, Trans Youth Family Allies for Parents, American Transgender Resource Hub for the trans community, people who are non-binary, gender non-conforming. It was founded actually by a 19-year-old trans man in Los Angeles of Mexican heritage. So I'm really, really in awe of this young man for starting such an amazing organization and providing so many great resources um, to the community. So. I just want to add that I want to remind people that in the media, we hear all the negative things that are happening to the trans community. People are being fired. They're being murdered. But I want people to know that we are also expressing and experiencing joy. We're thriving. We're excelling. We have loving families. We are in gainful employment. We are in college. We, we're doing all kinds of things. We're doctors, lawyers. We're doing so many great things. We're changing the world in our small ways and in our big ways. And so just know that progress is happening. That we can be optimistic and yes. resilient. That there's, yes. that there's optimism and resilience in every, every group that is in the world, that every group in the world. So there including, is. yeah, absolutely. That's that's how we got to delusional <laughs> optimism. <laughs> but I appreciate, I so appreciate you sharing that. Yes, that there are positive things, that are positive things are happening everywhere and and negative things are happening too with all groups. You know, yeah. I mean, this is, this is part of life is the ups and downs. So it's yep. so great to hear your perspective. I appreciate so much your your bravery and, and courage for sharing such honest stories with us today. And definitely the um the actionable, honest, you know, resourceful takeaways that can that people can really use. I mean, that's why I love what I do. I mean, what I mostly do nowadays is I teach conflict management trainings and I also can uh, facilitate wellness webinars. And so I teach people how to navigate uncertainty, how to deal with emotional distress, how to get a better night's sleep, because these are all things that are going to help us you know, go through the trials and tribulations, the stressors and strains of daily life. 
Nobody can escape these things. We all are experiencing them, but we're all going to experience them differently. And a lot of it has to do with how well prepared we are as we're experiencing them. And if people out there want to reach out to you, use your services, all those things, how do they find you? Uh, Xanderkeg.net. That's my website, Z-A-N-D-E-R-K-E-I-G.net. And also you can go to circles.modernhealth.com because I'm a circles facilitator for Modern Health, which is a mental health benefits company. And they're free and open to the community. And currently we have an LGBT pride circle series that's available for the whole month of June. So people can go and there's listens and learns and there's also discussion circles. So definitely check those out. I'm facilitating some of those. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Xander. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much. Thank you you so much. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, Dr. B. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life print. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Delusional Optimism brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership. We hope you're encouraged by Dr. B's message and find her tips helpful for managing life stressors and building a more resilient self. For more episodes in this special series, please visit St. Agnes Medical Center's website, at www.samc.com. This episode is produced and published by the editing team at TruthWork Media. TruthWork Media is a full-fledged podcasting and social media agency located in South Bend, Indiana with clients all around the world. For more information, visit them at truthworkmedia.com. These materials and all discussions of these materials are for educational purposes only and do not constitute medical or mental health advice. The presenter is not a licensed mental health or medical service provider. If you need medical or mental health care or advice, you should contact your doctor or therapist, or you can contact your insurance company for a referral. This show and all of its contents are copyright 2020 Dr. B. Leave a Life Print. Reproduction or use requires written consent of Dr. Kristen Beasley.